0: Chapter 19. Holding a driving licence while transporting myself proved to be a challenge. It took nine attempts before I arrived back at my mum's house with it still in my hand. I kept dropping it at the moment I was about to leave Steve's house. I had no idea how much time I had before the police would show up. I headed towards my bedroom straight away but dropped the licence on the stairs. No amount of swiping my hand towards it would work. My fingers kept passing through it and the stairs... Something as simple as picking up a small object required more concentration than when I wrote my dissertation. My mind raced with thoughts of the police officers who would be arriving at any moment to search the house for clues about my final hours and who might have killed me, making it hard for me to focus on anything else. The thumping at the door interrupted my final attempt. I staggered backwards, only managing to compose myself in time to stop when I reached the bottom, I was grateful that I hadn't lost control to the extent where I fell through the floor. That was always disconcerting. My mum hurried to the door and let the two policemen into the house. Mrs Winters, one of them said. His eyes rested on her for a moment before wandering to the hallway. I assumed he was keen to get the search over with. As my colleague explained to you on the phone, this is just procedure. We wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't search the victim's last known address. Sarah, my mum said. My daughter's name is Sarah, not Victim. Of course, the other man spoke up. Shall we get started? His colleague nodded before walking toward the hallway. He checked the drawers and shone a torch into the small space underneath the stairs. I stood as the second police officer passed by me. I followed him up the steps. It seemed like I should, since my mum was preoccupied with following the one downstairs. Look down, I instructed. As usual, I was ignored, but he was going to pass a step where the idea had fallen. His eyes focused on the way ahead rather than looking down for the evidence below where his feet were about to tread. I could tell he wasn't as meticulous as his colleague. There were no signs of dizziness, so I decided to risk what I did next. I stood beside him and yelled into his ear. Look down now! He gazed at the spot where I stood. His eyes a little wider than normal, but like most people, he stared straight through me. To his credit, he looked down though. The ID featuring Tim with his psychotic stare caught his eye. He crouched to pick it up. I knelt from a few steps above him and watched. His eyes fell to the name. I saw something there, maybe a glint of recognition. It made sense of the police I'd seen the bin with the same name written in my blood, which I assumed would have been tested to confirm it was mine. He took it to his friend downstairs. My mum was in the kitchen making tea by that point. The officers talked to each other in hushed voices. Could be, although that looked more like Tom. I grasped it in the dark I was unable to see, and my writing could have looked like it spelled out the name Tom, or maybe the blood dripped. I was dying, and so unable to produce nice, neat letters. I figured I should be grateful I wasn't murdered by someone with a much longer name. What's going on? Mum interrupted from the doorway of the front room, clutching a mug of tea in each hand. She entered the room and placed them down on the coffee table, when neither officer responded. The shorter of the two cleared his throat and took the draught license from his partner. Have you seen this before? No, she shook her head. And I've never seen him before either, nor would I want to. She pulled the face and shivered. I was pleased to witness how the image of Tim had the same effect on her as it did on me. I accept that most killers are someone's friend or family, and they can look normal, attractive even. But Tim's face screamed a warning to run for the hills. The problem is, he was the sort of person who would pursue you up those hills, kill you and get off on the whole experience before burying your body up there. Did he kill my daughter? I thought Paul. We don't know, but we would like to speak to him, the other officer said. My mum stared at him, her eyes conveying more stubbornness than anything she could possibly have said. She wasn't about to let them leave without an explanation. He's a person of interest, is all the officer said. Mum's expression softened a little, despite him only saying the same thing in a different way. I could tell he wouldn't disclose any more details just yet. I decided to tell Steve what happened so we wouldn't be getting stressed about the possibility of having to investigate my killer alone or carry the weight of Tim's future victims on his conscience. I transported myself back to his house. Knock, knock, I said. My voice was low as I tried to stay at least five feet away so as not to startle him again. I recapped what happened. It's good that the police got the idea after all of that. And that they saw the name on the bin too, even if they mistook it for Tom. They're the police, they'll figure it out. But, I asked, seeing that expression conveyed how he thought it was anything but great. You've used up a lot of energy in this short space of time. I've been thinking the same thing. I should have blacked out by now, I admitted. Maybe, he began. There was no way I could drop the subject when he seemed like he might have an idea about why I was still there, rather than taking an enforced ghost nap. He seemed to realise this and elaborated. It. it might be something to do with the voice of God. Huh? The voice you hear, it's God, right? The one who sent you back and said this was all an interview. I can't remember if he said test or interview. It happens so fast and I'm not sure he's God. He's a higher power of some kind, I relented. You think he'd give me unlimited energy, like unlimited lives in a computer game? Something like that. Unless you've got any better ideas... Maybe it's part of the test or interview to see how far you would go when you think you're at risk of blocking out. Oh, I said, as I processed this is there anything about this in your books? Nothing I've come across, and I've read them all off more than a few times. I looked around the room at the bookcases. My mind made a quick estimate that there must be around 200 books. Right, we need to get you out of here. You've been a recluse way too long, I announced. I'm not a recluse. I went out last week to research chimney shops that are closing down for a freelance article I'm writing. On the way back, I popped into the supermarket and stopped up on food. Wow, I feigned surprise. You really live in a wild life. He looked at me. His eyebrows raised as if suggested I wasn't living a wild life either. I'm dead. What's your excuse? I said. He shrugged. I saw my chance to repay Steve for his help. At the last minute, I had knocked on Steve's door to try to get him to change his life, but it ended up sounding like a rant. It turns out you can't just turn up on someone's doorstep and give what you wrongly consider to be a motivational speech when they don't know who you are. They'd expect them to be changed for the better. Now, with my potentially endless ghost energy, I could get him out of the house and be his invisible wingwoman. ''What are you planning?'' he asked, his arms crossed against his chest. First of all, that is some closed-off body language right there,'' I pointed out. ''You can't be doing that when you're talking to a woman in the bar.'' ''I'm going to be talking to a woman in the bar?'' ''Damn right you're going to be talking to a woman in the bar,'' I confirmed. Despite Steve's protest, the two of us ended up in a bar in the Northern Quarter. They seemed nice enough. The little booths give the place a cosy feel.'' but I didn't let Steve get comfortable. I made him sit on one of the stools at the bar by repeating for him to sit over there, over and over, until he relented. I wanted to shut me up. I watched the door while he ordered himself a pint. A woman entered, pretty and blonde, in her early thirties. I was about to turn to Steve, suggest he strike up a conversation with her, when a man walked in behind her. He was blonde too, taller than her by at least a foot. His arms were twice the size of Steve's, in a gym workout way, not a too-much-spent-eating-donuts kind of way. He let down as she turned around, their arms wrapped around each other, his around their shoulders, hers around his waist. Neither seemed bothered about blocking the door as their faces inched closer and closer until their mouths spit. I could tell they considered themselves to be the hottest couple in town, and they wanted everyone in the bar to know it. The door opened and the boyfriend acted as a buffer. It hit his back, but he didn't move. He twisted his head away, then let go of the woman and turned to face the brunette as she tried to squeeze through the gap. The blonde glared at the woman as though she and her demigod of a boyfriend had every right to block the entrance if they were making out. Sorry, the brunette didn't sound like she regretted anything, other than not pushing the door harder and knocking the pair of them over. Steve watched as the woman sat down on the stool next to him. Say something to her, I hissed at Steve. He looked at me. His eyes seemed to be pleading with me, either to go away or tell him what he should say. Just copy me, I said. I would have slammed the door into the pair of them. She was ordering a vodka and coke by then. Steve kept his mouth shut as I repeated myself. He must have known how this would play out by that point, with me acting like a broken record until he copied what I said. I wasn't being cruel. It was the only way I could think of to get him to meet new people. I wasn't an expert myself, despite what I believed when I was alive. I would have slammed the door into the pair of them, Steve said. Now laugh, just a small laugh. Don't overdo it, I instructed, as the woman turned to face him. He didn't laugh, though he managed a half-smile. It would have to do. Sometimes I think love makes people selfish, she responded with a smile on her own. She wasn't obviously pretty like the blonde, but she had a likeable face. I could imagine she was popular when she was at school, probably at work too. Oh yeah? Steve asked. Look at it this way, you get so absorbed with another person. Before you know it, you're blocking doorways and not caring about whether anyone else wants a drink at the end of a very long day. Ask her why a day was long, I urged. I could see his eyes glancing at me, before darting back to her. Bad day? he asked. The worst, but you don't want to hear about that. I'm not doing anything else, I whispered into Steve's ear. He duly repeated my words, sounding more convincing than I expected. She opened her mouth to answer, but I stopped listening. The door opened. The couple were seated, so avoided getting knocked into again. The man who entered the bar was Tim. He looked around as if searching for someone, his eyes cast over Steve's potential new friend. Lust flashed in the killer's eyes before he went to a booth by himself.